the Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-8192. That's 800-600-8192. 800-600-8192. story about Michelle Carter. She's the uh, girl who, at 17 years old, this was a few years ago, she's 20 now, she's just been sentenced to uh, involuntary manslaughter for texting her boyfriend to go ahead and kill himself. Now, at first, she was telling her boyfriend not to, right? She was, she was you know, telling him he had things to live for and to, you don't do this, you don't want to do this. And then something happened and, and she switched and was encouraging him the whole time and then on the day when he got into his truck and was in a confined space and had the carbon monoxide going uh, and then he got scared got out of his truck texted her she said what are you doing get back in the car get back in the truck which he, he did and he died and so she was uh, charged with um, and found guilty of manslaughter and it's interesting because like <clears throat> the story starts out in the New York Times can malicious Malicious speech constitute violence? No. But Friday's shocking court decision, which found her guilty of sending lethal text messages, is bound to confuse the issue. And it really is, because it's obviously morally wrong. But is it a crime Hmm. to text somebody encouragement? It's interesting. Like that? Is Robbie with us? Is he uh, ready to go? I'm here. Oh, you are. Robbie, there you are. Robbie Suave uh, joins us. He's the guy who wrote this story for the New York Times. Uh, And, uh, you know, we've had him on before. He really brings an interesting perspective to this uh, because I'm a little torn on it. I think I Mm -hmm. am generally on your side, Robbie, but can you kind of walk us through? Because I think a lot of people think, wait a minute, she encouraged her boyfriend to kill himself. She, She had a chance to talk him out of it, and she encouraged him to do it, which he wound up doing. She's got to be held responsible. Right. And I, I do think this is a hard case, by the way. I, I understand the arguments on the other side. This, this is not a this is this is one that kind of falls into a little bit of a gray zone. Nevertheless, I would say that although she's morally culpable and perhaps she would be guilty of some some lesser crime that they should have charged her with. To find her guilty of involuntary manslaughter means you're essentially saying that her words killed him, not that her words uh, inspired yeah. violence or resulted in violence, but the words themselves were the were the weapon used to kill him. And I think that's a that's that's a a ruling that could have a slippery slope kind of effect on chilling uh, protected expression because it's not illegal it's not illegal to kill yourself. So she couldn't have been participating in a crime because that's not a crime anyway. It's different than than encouraging person A to kill person B. Because murder is illegal, so you you be a participant in a murder. But so this is a little different, and it's again, it's just the speech, and that troubles me. Even though she is certainly morally culpable, and mm-hmm. you know perhaps should have been should have been punished in some other some uh, for something else. Yeah, it's interesting because I mean I I, I, I again how can, we've talked about this before, and that like sometimes 
you'd think, okay, suicide it can't be legal, but then how would you enforce it? Because <laughs> if you actually succeed in the crime, there's no way to enforce it. Um, but I guess, like, there is a, a certain level of cruelty uh, assigned to this particular case in which a person who's vulnerable, um, who is perhaps not mentally stable, I mean, we know not mentally stable, uh, and <clears throat> someone using the, the power of... Uh, convincing them to do something terrible uh, to someone who's already on the edge, I mean, I think it seems to a lot of people that maybe this does actually cross that line here. You've cr- this is, we're talking about uh, someone's life is over, and you can certainly argue uh, that it would not be over if not for the words spoken to this person as he was standing outside of his running vehicle. Right. It becomes an issue of how uh, how widely we want to cast that kind of web of blame, because in the because, you know, she was also mentally troubled. She was apparently prescribed some medicine that her lawyers argued made her uh, less empathetic, that kind of decreased her uh, her levels of empathy. And so if you're going to say, well, it's not his own actions that killed him, but rather her words where does that end? Then is it, well, it's not her, it was, it was her words, but what caused her words was actually the drugs she took. And then, well, what caused her to take the drugs was actually the prescription she got from her doctor. And what caused the doctor to write her the prescription was the drug company making the drug in the first place. Mm. So it, I, I think if we move beyond the, the kind of strictest causal relationship, which is that he, you know, he turned on his car and, and, and pumped carbon monoxide into it, that's what killed him. Not her words, but that. If you're going to draw a, the, the causal chain larger, um, I, I, where does it end is, is what I worry about. I think that's a pretty compelling argument. Yeah. Uh, it, and, you know, you, you mentioned maybe she should have been charged with something but not this. Maybe like an incitement. Like you would if you incited a riot. You wouldn't be charged with the actual riot. You'd just be in charge with incitement, right? I think she should have... Uh, Probably, and I, you know, I'm not an expert on Massachusetts law, but I looked at it a little bit. It seems like there's something akin to harassment or cyberbullying she could have been charged with. Mm. Um, you know, sometimes those laws draw have First Amendment problems uh, in and of themselves. But this seems like a clear example where you could say, you know, like infliction of, of a emotional distress using a technological device to do that. That's a, mm-hmm. a crime, depending on the jurisdiction in some places. This case actually reminded me a lot of the Tyler Clementi case. That was that Rutgers student who was uh, oh, yeah. who was spied on by his roommate. He was a gay student in an intimate relationship. He was he was recorded, and then he killed himself after. And there was some talk about charging uh, the the perpetrator, the, the person who had spied on him, with uh, with manslaughter. I, I think that would have been wrong. Ultimately, he was charged with invasion of privacy and some other things, and he was found guilty and he paid a big fine and spent you know a little bit of time in prison. I think totally justly. Uh, so you, we have. So that was a that was a case where we where someone did a very bad thing that had a horrible result, and we held them responsible for the thing for the crime they actually committed. And again, this is a little bit of a harder case. I, I, I concede that, but this is that's ultimately where I come down on this. It's interesting in that, like you have a, um, a, a situation where the First Amendment is already being tested. I think free speech is already being targeted. I think you could make the argument that there's a straight line at least down the road, uh, to if you allow things like this to happen, that, for example, the shooting with Congress. I mean, I, you know, it's, it's, it's harder for us to talk about this as, you know, on this show we're conservative, and, you know, they'll always blame conservatives for uh, any political violence that can, they, any way they can tie it to conservatives. Here's a case where 
you know, this guy was obviously a Bernie Sanders supporter, um, and, and he wanted to go and, and, and shoot these congressmen. But you cannot draw a line outside of him, himself, to be responsible for that. It is his action. He is responsible for it. It's not Bernie Sanders' fault. But you could see it at a place where if we let this slippery slope go on, you will start to get to that point where you will draw, people will start drawing lines to uh, uh, people's speech. They will draw lines to people's uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, activist groups. They will draw lines to anything that winds up being their enemy to blame uh, for horrible crimes that happen in the future. And I think your argument sort of boils down to, I think, where I am as well, which is, is this a tough case? But like, when we're going to find a place to err, let's err on the side of the First Amendment. That's exactly it. And even as our legal protections for the First Amendment, for free speech, have, have really grown stronger be over time because the Supreme Court has grown uh, uh, more uh, strident in its, its defense of, of total protections for free speech. There was a court, uh, court decision just came out yesterday the, uh, that, uh, that Asian band that wanted to trademark an offensive name and yeah. the, the trademark authority said no. And the Supreme Court said 9-0. Yes, absolutely. Hate speech is protected or a speech that offends you. Uh, so the, the legal protections have, have grown stronger. But that's different from the culture surrounding free speech. And, I mean, you know as well as I do that the, the kind of young left uh, views hate speech as – when I talk to them, they often tell me – not only should hate speech be illegal, but that hate speech is already illegal. They, they don't understand that mm. the First Amendment protects it. And That's then there amazing. are people on the right in the, in, mm. you know, it's not a just, it's a bipartisan thing who see criticism of Trump, uh, you know, every kind of uh, uh, hackneyed, gimmicky, uh, over-the-top criticism of the president as some threat to his life. Uh, <laughs> and, and yeah. you know, that's, that's equally worrisome. Yeah. So, so we... So we shouldn't, uh, we can't back down from the strong legal protection. I mean, we've seen well, this completely recently with the idea of uh, the people who have spent so much time calling other people snowflakes for their inability mm -hmm. to be offended uh, now are rushing the stages to, to stop plays from going yes. on. I mean, <laughs> I can, how, could you be more snowflakey than being so offended by a play that you have to stop it? Yeah, and, and we've kind of lost sight in this country, at least a certain percentage of, of the country, has lost sight of the fact that the only speech worth protecting is offensive or, in some cases, hateful. Uh, I mean, as long as you're not telling somebody to kill another person or, or uh, yelling fire in a crowded theater, it's probably protected speech, right? That's right, and, and it has kind of shocked and, and, and disappointed me in how, how many people I thought were kind of across the board defenders of free speech were mm -hmm. actually only interested in defending free speech that was not offensive to them. If that it they like. them, then it's not free speech anymore. I, yeah. Just yesterday, I, I was taking an Uber, and the, 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 my driver had a, had a talk radio station on. I have no idea who it was. But, uh, you know, they, they were, ta they were ta defending the, the, the actions of the theater protesters saying, you know, this is this, we had to stop this horrible speech. And then the next segment was complaining about snowflakes on campus. And, <laughs> and you have to be kidding me. That is priceless. <laughs> that is, it's that's amazing. Fantastic. And that's why I kind of find, uh, you know, the story you wrote in the Times, uh, and we discussed it as well, um, and kind of looked at it from, you know, Glenn kind of, I would say it was, 
He's definitely uh, uh, friendly, I think, to your viewpoint on this, but is also sort of <clears throat> conflicted, and this is a really tough case. Mm. And I find myself, uh, and this is just a general media uh, uh, point here, but it's, I find myself much more attracted lately to stories like that, where people who might agree with me on other stories, and there's, there's differing areas in there. It's not just a basic partisan thing, because I no longer can tell when I turn on TV, when I turn on radio, whether the person saying some, the thing they're saying actually believes it or if it's just, hey, this is the thing that helps my guy today. And not only is that a really negative thing for political discourse, it's also a really boring world. Yeah, it's so, it's become so tribal. I, I mean, you, and you know this I, probably better than I do. I, I, I don't spend all that much time in, in, in media circles, but when I do, I'm, I'm disappointed in the level of discourse because it's so tribal. It's so, and it, I mean, it, it bugs me as a libertarian, right? I, I, I love individualism. I love... You know, maybe people can agree on this and then disagree on this. And, you know, we're all none of us are, are, are totally alike in our views. But it, it's you're really being I don't know if, if it's if it's Trump, if it's the media environment, everyone is being so pigeonholed into one club or another. You're, you're either, you know, a, a left leaning coastal millennial elite or you're, you know, you're the white working class or something. You're the Trump camp or you're not the Trump camp. Mm. And it's so hard for people with a more nuanced view of our current political situation to kind of uh, get above the noise uh, because it's just so tribal. Well, now you've offended us and yep. uh, we don't want to talk to you anymore. <laughs> We're going to rush the camera and cut you off immediately. <laughs> Robbie Suave, Reason, as well as a great piece in the New York Times. Uh, love stuff, having him on, yeah. and thanks for coming on, Robbie. Thanks for having thanks, me. Um, and you might remember him as well. Uh, one thing we should point out about Robbie, I always like to when he comes on, one of the first time I ever had him on was because he was, my, my recollection, the first guy who questioned the Rolling Stone rape story. Remember, that wound up being oh, a wow. huge really? deal and yeah. cost Rolling Stone wow. millions of dollars. That's great. He was one of the first, wait a minute, this isn't consistent with this. And, and he really went into that. And, and you know, as he points out, it's tough to take those positions, right? It's hard yeah. to stand up and yeah. say, wait a minute, this person who's saying she was raped, it doesn't sound right. That's just a difficult position to take. And, uh, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's a search of the truth. We, we, you know, launched this network saying the truth had no agenda. And that feels harder and harder for the media to accomplish every day. So when you find those stories, it's always a good thing to, to highlight them, I think. Definitely. Definitely.